Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. It is Zach. We are here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. And with me, as always, is... It's Jared. Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing good today. Yeah, today... Yeah, it's a day by day thing with me right now. Yes, I, yes, I yesterday was not my favorite day. Today's a lot better. That's good. I'm very glad. How to about hear that. you? Uh, I'm good. Been stressed with some projects we're working on, but uh, you know, I'm good as well. Yeah, stress, life, it's all in there together. It's all good. Yeah. But you know what took away some of our stress? Getting to play a game. It really is therapeutic. Like, I really think there could be research done that says, like, a healthy amount of gaming can really have some benefits for you. I, th- I think there are studies that say that. <laughs> um, but the game we got to play was The Emerald Flame. We've been waiting for this, man. Yes. And obviously it's not Rita's fault that this took so long. Like she decided to put this game out there at a time where everything was going great in the world. And, yep. then, and then it's been really interesting actually to watch her journey and the amount of care for the customer that she's put in the journey with all of this. It's been really cool. But it was worth the wait, my friend. Oh, absolutely. It, this game was worth the wait, and now so many people are getting to enjoy it, and I'm hoping that because of this podcast that more people will decide to pick this game up because it is a little bit more of an expensive game, but mm-hmm. it promises six hours plus of game time, which it does. Yep. And yeah, it's dope. <laughs> it's a really good game. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a lot of things we like out of it, but stick around. We'll be talking about it very soon. Jared, can I be honest with you? Yeah, man. You tell me anything. I had a really weird dream last night. Oh, no. Was this the one where the Muppet was puppeting you? No. This one, it wasn't that. This one, I was stuck in the middle of the ocean on like a platform. Oh, you know, that actually reminds me of a new game by Post Curious called Adrift. It's a, a new puzzle tale all about dream interpretation. Wait a minute. I- I'm telling you about my weird dream and you're doing an ad for Post Curious? Ad is a strong word. I'm I'm merely telling you that soon there will be a new post-curious game and that if you were interested in that, that you should actually go to getpostcurious.com and sign up for their newsletter. The reason being, Zach, is I don't want this to turn into a nightmare for you. This isn't coming to Kickstarter. They're only going to fulfill orders that they have pre-orders for. Can you imagine not getting this game? It'd be really sad. Yeah. So... Again, head over to GetPostCurious.com, sign up for their email list, get notified when this game comes out, and get ready to enjoy it. I even had a dream that this was just a prequel to their next big game. You've sold me on the game, but you've also sold me I'm never telling you about my dreams again. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the first section here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. If you ever played a Deadbolt game before, you should play more. And if you haven't played one, you totally should. We are getting to talk about the Emerald Flame today. It was a lot of fun to get to discuss. But in this section, we're going to talk about the things that we liked about Emerald Flame. Um, We'll also talk about some room for improvements if we have any. It's kind of just a back and forth kind of to tell how we feel about the game. This isn't a section of the show to dog on a game or go in on it. Uh, But, you know, just like anyone else, we want games to be better. So we'll give our criticism. Yeah, and usually we like to try to keep it three things that we really love like and three things that we feel like there are room for improvement. 
but this game felt more like there's a million things that we really like about yep. this game. So our like, like section may feel a little denser today. We'll say. Yeah. But Zach, where do we start about what we really uh, enjoyed about this game? We played it over the course of just two sessions, right? Or was it three? Two. We played two and a half hours worth of it one day. And then we played, or well, we played two hours of it one day and we played the other four hours all on the other day. Okay, that's correct. So uh, on the whole, where, where do you want to start talking about what we really loved about this game? There's a lot for sure. I don't know if you guys can tell, but we did like the Emerald Flame. This isn't a shocker. I would say the first thing I really liked was the puzzle components. And I would almost just say the puzzles themselves. Ugh, so good. From the prologue that you get for the uh, the special edition of the game to the base game itself and then the epilogue that comes with it as well. Every puzzle felt flawlessly made. It made sense. They all worked really well. The components that come with each of those puzzles were really well done in terms of the art style, how like it was crafted, the material used. It felt like everything we got was like a, a chef's kiss in terms of a cool mm. puzzle that was also really well done. It, it was great. A lot of intentionality. Yes. And just to dig into more than just like, we love the puzzles. We want to we want to break it down a little bit for you. So one of the things that Zach and I talked a lot about in regards to the puzzles themselves is the signposting. Yes. And if you ever like are wondering like what's good signposting, play Emerald Flame mm-hmm. because it's it it's master like it's so good because it doesn't make the puzzle any easier. No, but it's it's cluing right. It's it's letting you know subtly. Hey, you should think about this, right? It's that starting sign at the beginning of the pathway that's helping guiding your thinking or your solving. And I would say, Zach, you probably felt more of this in the puzzles that you were tackling. I felt it too, but it's just this really smart, subtle nudge that she always gives. And I don't want to dive too much into that, but give me some of the things that you felt and why you felt like the signposting was so strong. I mean, it just came naturally. It wasn't like a thing that it felt forced where it was just like a, another piece of paper that goes like, this is what you should do. It clearly came in with the narrative. It made sense why there would be these hints and subtle nudges to do certain things or to connect pieces together. What I think, like you said, that I agree with that made it so well done was that it didn't make puzzles simpler. The puzzles were difficult because the puzzles were difficult. And I say difficult, but like more challenging. They were, they were higher level puzzling. Yes. They not, were they not, were made for you to work on them for a yes, bit. Yes, absolutely. Even if you got the, like, even if they literally told you A goes with A, you still had to do all of A. Like it wasn't an easy, like, oh, once I find these two, the, the puzzle's over. They're multi-step. Oh, yeah. I was going to say every puzzle was a multi-step puzzle. Yes, but it was flawlessly done. Like it always felt like, and even if honestly they didn't give us the things that connect the two, the natural narrative and the format of how the game plays for each like chapter, quote unquote, already does enough signposting. I, I believe in itself to tell you like, okay, these things look like they go together. You should do these together. But then the game just does an even better job of like, if you even have the thought of being like, I don't think those go together. The game goes like, yeah, you should, you should totally <laughs> you, look you at those two do things. That. Yeah. It, it's just well done. It, I never questioned anything we were doing. It all made sense. I never felt like a puzzle felt out of place in the narrative or in the whole puzzle experience. 
And then every puzzle was well done. Every puzzle at the end, I like, even if they were, I say frustrating, but you know, there's some harder step, multi-step puzzles that we were doing. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm missing something important. And I'd finally get it. You'd have that eureka, eureka moment. And I'm just like, awesome. Like it, it was always worth that moment. And that's the thing that we kept saying. Like there was a lot of vocal talking because Zach and I split puzzles on this experiences. Yep. And from time to time you would, you hear this, oh, like I see what you did there. Zach would be like, oh, that's clever. Yeah. And we just kept saying that puzzle after puzzle, after puzzle, after puzzle. And there's a number of reasons for that, but it, it starts with, oh, that is a really good puzzle that is signposted and it makes sense. Yep. The other thing that I really liked kind of inside of our puzzle conversation is, and this works well for Zach and I, it's like, if there's more of a tangible based puzzle, give it to Jared. If there is more of a cerebral step-based puzzle, give it to Zach. And there was a really good balance of those types of puzzles within each chapter. It always yeah. felt like Zach had something to do and I had something to do throughout the entire game. And we were both very happy with what we got to work on. Yep. Tell me a little bit more about that. Cause I, I could go on and on about the physical puzzles. I loved them so much. Oh, I mean, it was really cool getting to watch you work on them. The more non-physical puzzles or the big multi-step puzzles were just really fun because it, they were all obviously multi-step. So each part was its own puzzle in itself, but they were all really just fun multi-step puzzles. Like every step of it, I was like, okay, how do I make the first connection? And I'd get it and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I'd see how that connection goes in the next step. I'm like, okay, that's even cooler. And then it would get harder, but it made me like think more about it. And I'm like, okay, now I have to actually think about this for a bit, but I get how this would all make sense. And then you finally get to like the meta of like, I say the meta, but the meta of that specific puzzle. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, it's so cool getting to add all this together. Like each element, each step kept growing on each, on each other, but in a, like in a super solid way that I, you know, it's like reaching the top of stairs. I was like, oh, cool. I did it. I got the trophy. I did yeah. it. It's like doing the stairmaster at the gym. Like I, I did it. The stairs. Dare stuff. I say rock climbing? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you get to the top of like the boulder wall, like on like the different routes you try to do, it does feel really nice. It, it That's like my thing. I enjoy those puzzles a lot. Any of those puzzles that make me feel like I have to work a lot to achieve my big goal, it's always a reward for me because I, I love the an analytical, like, I'm going to do each step of this and try to figure it out. See, and that's great because I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I love to, I think I just love to play. You definitely do. Yeah. Like I love to get something, especially some of the components in this game are just so intriguing just to look at. And you're just sitting here and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play. Yeah. Like I'm just going to experiment and I'm going to try. And again, I agree with you. The aha moments in playing, it's like, Oh, and I'm even going to throw a humble, humble brag. Jared is here today. There, there, I will say there is cutting in this game. There is folding in this game that fell within the purview of the puzzles that I solved on this game. And I think I'm more proud of solving the foldy puzzle than, do it, yeah. than anything else in this game. I was like, as soon as Zach and I realized it, Zach was even giving me crap. He was like, Oh, foldy puzzle. Like, good for you. Like have fun, have fun, have fun, buddy. Have fun with that, man. But it was, it was a good foldy puzzle. Like I, I even enjoyed that. Like, that's how, you know, this is a good game. I'm out here saying the cutty and the foldy puzzles. Were, yes. We're, we're fun. Yeah. We're fun. And I enjoyed them uh, a lot, but yeah, it's, it's varied, right? We always yep. talk about the variety being kind of like the spice of life and why we enjoy different game types and different games that is present in this game too. 
Yeah, they also bring up, I know even on their box, they say it's a co-op game. It very much is. It, there's enough for multiple people to do something at all times and not feel like, you know, it's me and Jared working on the same puzzle over yes. and over and over. And like Jared's really the only one who can interact with it. And I'm just kind of like staring at it. Absolutely. Uh, we both had things the entire game and it felt really cool that none of us felt like we were waiting on the other person to like to do a puzzle. You know, we were both getting to work on it, all of it and then having the overlapping puzzles between certain ones and then like getting to the final part of the game with like metas and stuff like that was also really cool. I agree, man. It was, it was just so good from a puzzle perspective. I could talk a long time. I want to move on now to now we're starting the second. This is number two. If you can believe that the progression. Yep. Uh, and I mean that with in the narrative, but even apart from that, this game is chaptered mm -hmm. really well, three chapters, but I had a moment and I think you did too. When we opened the box, and we looked at the three envelopes yeah. and we realized that all of the envelopes were not created equal. That built up my excitement for the entire game. Yeah. And that's actually a really cool part of it too, is it doesn't feel like any of them are like shorthanded. It doesn't feel like one envelope's like too short or like not enough things to do. There's a clear reason why one of them is bigger than the others once you realize uh. what's in it. But it it's, was so cool being like, okay, we're starting out with this one have no idea what's in it. We have an idea what's in two and three because of like the instructions they give you about things you might need for later on in the game. And you're like, okay. And then you open up two and you're like, okay, this just got cooler and more things. Interesting. And then you get to the third one. And you're like, oh boy, this is everything I wanted here at the end. And it was just well done. Like in the puzzle progression, it got more difficult, which what I really liked is the difficulty kept going up in range. Like the beginning of the game is not... I think every puzzle in this game is not easy yeah. by any means. There there's are, there's no gimmies out here in the Emerald Flame. Correct. But I will say that I think it did get more difficult as the game went on. Like, there's definitely some more puzzles in the second chapter of the game that took me a little bit more time than I was thinking, like, in the first ones. And then the third one threw in a few puzzles that were like, oh, you liked uh, those, like, three multi-step puzzles we had? What about, like, four steps? <laughs> and you're like, and you have these things from the other packages, and you're like, uh, yes, please. Bring it on. Let's it, do it. It was, and it just kept getting it just kept getting better. It, it kept getting more engaging. The components kept becoming more mystifying. And I'm even thinking through of some of the manipulatables, and I'm just I, I'm like literally wondering, like, how did you get that made? Mm -hmm. Like, how did that come together as a thing? I'm thinking of one puzzle that involves stars. Yes. That I'm just like, that was really cool. Like that yeah. was it was cool. I was that was dope. And it just, it, it progressed really well. It progressed with the story. It was just masterful to keep you wanting more. Like, I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, this is going to be a hard game to put down. Yep. Because when you look forward, you're like, oh, I want to get into that and see what's in there. But that that's what great mystery does is it keeps its secrets for later on and keeps you coming back to get those. And then the payoff is worthwhile. Yep. And I'm, man, I just really love that. Now, to, to kind of cap off what makes this game great is this is like the hint system of all hint systems. It is good. Rita loves to talk about tiered hint systems and the importance of that. And obviously, you know, Zach and I are. We talk about it quite often. I've never seen. I, I was expecting like, okay, she'll probably go six or seven deep. 19? 19 on some well, puzzles? On a, like on one puzzle, yeah. <laughs> No, she gave basically enough steps for every puzzle that you would understand every step of the logic in terms of making the connections between items and making you get the connection. 
and it was well thought out and detailed. You had a place where you could put in the solution if you wanted to test it out yourself and see if it's correct, if it had an option to do it. You had a spot to just see the answer if you were just super stuck and you didn't want it to be stuck forever on that puzzle. You could just move on. You can just go and see the answer and see how it made sense. It's the perfect tiered hint system. It, it goes from vague to super specific on parts of the puzzle. And it goes from, you know, you can put in the answer and try it yourself without knowing the answer and just seeing if you're correct to, I just want to see the answer and move on. It's, yeah. It lets you play the game you want to and not stop you from having fun. Absolutely. Cause the more detailed it gets now, there's a point, like, I don't think I'd be interested in like a 50 point tiered yeah, hint it, system. There's some point where it's not needed to go in that much detail, but she does a really good job, I believe, of giving you every step where it makes sense and like yes. giving you examples in those. And I mean, I think the longest was the 19 one. I think most are in the like one to or they're like one to eight. They're like one to ten ish. And then it goes and then most are like, I'd say a lot are in the like there's like 10 to 15 ish full hands. But those are like the longer multi-step puzzles. too. Yes. It's not like, yes, the the simple like I say simple, but it's not like uh, one of the prologue ones where it's supposed to be is like a like get you started. It's not like one of those has like eighty. Then you'd be like, oh gosh, what am I doing? What is happening in this puzzle? But no, I agree. It lets you get as much or as little information as you want. There's a solution there, and I love it on the solution too. It prevents accidentally clicking on it because when you yes. click on it, it says, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" Yes. And I love that is because it? nobody wants to spoil a solution yep. either by just like a random misclick or something like that. So it's like, oh, it's just all so fanciful and wonderful. Like there's more that we want to talk about in the puzzling of this game, but we're going to be saving that for the middle section and another one of our topic discussions. Okay. Let's move on to where we felt like there were room for improvements in this game. Okay. Cause there are so many. Okay. <laughs> but not really. Oh, okay. I, uh, we only really have one and even that one Zach and I can't seem to agree on it or we have different perspectives on where it lands. Okay. So I want to open up that discussion with you a little bit more when Zach and I were kind of talking about like where we felt like room for improvements. There really aren't a whole lot this game. This is no. comparatively really, really fantastic game. It does so much. So right. The one area, and I think I felt this a little bit stronger than Zach is there is, this is a game that has a chatbot system in it. And that is your primary means of inserting your answers. You're having a conversation with a member of a secret society. Yep. Of which we belong to so many. So it's no wonder that the Koshi Society was able to get a hold of us. Yeah. But that is the primary means of, like I said, communication with a character to give them answers to move the game forward. Yep. I personally felt like, and we've talked about the correct way to say this, but it felt maybe underutilized or compared to other games that have had really strong chatbot systems. I was a little underwhelmed by how engaging that aspect of the game was. Yeah. I mean, I do agree with part of your statement. It definitely is a thing of, I think there have been other games that we've played with chatbots that provide more within the chatbot system. Examples I would be like is hack forwards. Yes. And, and that's not the thing that to say about this game. It, it is a comparative thing, not a like the chat system. I will very much yeah, say in this there game, was nothing broken. It works really well. It f works flawlessly. It did everything it needs to do. But I could agree with you on the statement of like there are other ones that provided way more with their chatbot system and it felt like there was more involved with it. And this does feel a little underutilized. 
I think what my counter arguments to you were mostly was that how you're wording it at first is that it is like, oh, this isn't needed. And don't get me wrong. It, you could argue about this game and, you know, once you play, you'll understand more that I think that the chatbot system needs to be the answering component. It just makes sense. But I do understand that it isn't used. If, if you almost used it more like a, like a hack forward and added a little bit more narrative is, and there is narrative in this, but if you added more of it or more interaction between the characters in it, or there was more reasons to have the news and the narrative updates in terms of events going through it. Yes. I think it would be more useful. I think right now it is like the best way you could have the answering system, but it doesn't provide more than that. Yeah. And you, you said the thing that for the words that I've been looking for is I agree with you it makes more sense than just like a, Hey, fill in this blank for me. Yada, yada. It, it makes, I like having a character that I'm talking to, but what I feel like other games did better is develop that character that you were talking with. Yeah. The character that you do interact with does get some narrative updates. There is a lot of narrative you can read outside of the game. There's narrative you get at the end of the game that lets you have more about the character that you are specifically talking to. But I think a lot of the narrative is mostly not around that specific person. And it's more about the society's leader as well as the two characters that go along with the adventure of what you're trying to find through yes. Animal Flame. Yes. And those are done really well. Like the, the narrative is solid between all between most of the two characters that are most of what Animal Flame is about. Yes. Other than the society's characters, which those aren't bad, but they're just not as important in my opinion as the other two, except for you get some stuff at the end that I don't want to spoil. But that's but that's the other part that made this feel a little, I don't know, uneven is like you get so much of the narrative in these handcrafted, like really beautiful letters yeah, and stuff letters. like that. And then you're communicating in a modern way. And I, I, I agree with you, like, that is one of the best ways to do it. But well, I think you have to because the only other ways of doing it digitally would be through an, like an answering system on a website, which would be okay. Or you could email. But I think with how the game wants you to do the answering system and it being more like rapid, and I say that in terms of like mm-hmm. you put in an answer for this part of the question they're asking you, and then you do this part. Like you, you're gaining three pieces of information you need to get before you do part yes. two of the puzzle. Yes, you have to do it this way because it is the only way that I think you could do it quickly enough that also the answering system can answer back to you efficiently. And it makes sense of like, okay, we can do it back and forth and it, and it goes fast enough that I'm not waiting like an hour for a robot to respond to me on an email system. Yes. It, it just did it really well, but yeah, I think it just unfortunately is missing out on, it could have more in it and it would be really cool that, that, I think that's the other part of it is like, it is intriguing. And because it is so intriguing, I wanted more, right? Like you've provided mm-hmm. me, I love chatbot systems. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful addition to immersive gaming at home gaming. Like I, I think there's room to do more of that in games, but I just felt like it was like, uh, Oh, I'm looking for this correct answer. Hey, thanks for giving me that. It, it, it felt, I, I wanted more from that character. On I, think the other it, end. I think it comes more in the, because I don't want to spoil anything of what happens, obviously, between the chatbot and you throughout the game. I think it starts becoming what I think you are expecting or wanting from the game in the third part. That's when it starts ramping more of a narrative with it, having more of a reason that you need to respond quicker. Like, it made more, I think, narratively, it started adding in the elements of like, okay, 
it kind of needs to be this now. Kind of like some urgency. In the first part, I feel like it doesn't need to be as urgent. And then the second part, it adds in a new element that it makes sense that you need to more. I felt like it ramped as it went why the chat box needed to be a thing. But I think if you only played like chapter one and you never saw chapter two or three, I think I would see your opinion more of like, yeah, this basically still like it's it's a good answering system. It works well, but it, it kind of could have more. And I think it starts getting there by chapter three, but I think it still could have had more. I think that's fair. Yeah. And and it, like you like we've talked about, it's probably just like a difference of how we saw the game and attack the game. But it's by no means bad. I'm just Absolutely looking at it and saying like. I think there's more there. Sure. I think I want to see more. And really that's all we have for, you know, we didn't really find a whole lot else to pick at at this game. The only other thing that we did mention, want to mention is who we thought this game was for. And I feel like I would describe this game as like a fine wine. Yeah. So like if you're a first time wine taster, the nuances of this game are probably lost on you. So I would want you to play some other games first just so that you could really enjoy what this is. So I would say if you're a new player, get some games under your belt. Once you feel like you have your bearings on you as a puzzler, come play Emerald Flame and you will taste all of the notes and the hints and the different aspects of what is collectively a beautifully made and wonderfully conceived game yeah i think if you're a solo player like who's never played many escape like i say escape room but at home puzzle mystery games i think this isn't the best game to start with i almost want to say because of the co-op element and it being a one to four player game i honestly think you could play this with like i could bring in someone i didn't that didn't play many and i think they could play along with me and the the hints help that well i was gonna say the hint system the signposting how the game functions it actually really supports playing with newer people but if you're by yourself, I don't think it's a great game. Like in terms mm. of like an, if I was like a new player, I've never played one before. I start with them on flame. There's a lot of elements in the game that support you trying, but you're going to deal with quite difficult multi-step puzzles. That is where you're going to get stuck. And I think that still would be, even if I had like two of my friends who've never played these before, like I would, I would probably do most of the harder puzzle work with them, but it would be fun to work it with them because they would see how it would connect mm. easier. And they would have the understanding of how the hint system works. It's a good game to play with a bunch of people and split up the work because there's a lot of work to split between people. But yeah, I agree. If you were, if this was your very first game and you picked this up off the shelf and you're like, I'm going to do this as my very first puzzle game. You're going to be surprised with how difficult the game's going to be for you. But the game does a good job of trying to help you with that, with that journey. If you were experienced or not. I think the easy way to say what, how we feel about that is it's a must play, not a first play. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. So like if, if you're out there and you're like, Oh, like, should I pick up? Yes. Pick up the Emerald flame. Yeah. Like, Stop what you're doing right now. Give Postcurious your money. That's an easy, easy question. Like, this game is... We didn't even get into the art. Like, it's just... The art's really well done. It's, it's all great. It's so good. It's just so good. I gotta stop. We have to get to the next section of the show. Could dote on this a lot longer. We're gonna wrap up the first section, but we've got puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. 
No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. That doesn't sound right. No, 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 Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog. That's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section of the show we call Puzzles to the People. And in this section of the show, we get to talk about just things that are important in the games that we play. We do some reviews sometimes. Sometimes we get some community feedback. Today is another conversation topic for you, Zach. Okay. And just so everybody knows, I did tell Zach ahead of time what this was. Yeah, I mean, to be brutally honest, we had no idea what we were going to talk about. And And then we thought about it a lot and we were like, actually, we have a pretty good topic for this. Yeah, we... When you play a game like this, that's so multifaceted. It's like, well, we could talk about this. Should we talk? But where we really wanted to land, and this is something we wanted to save that we could have doted on in the first section, is the concept of puzzle masking mm-hmm. and what that really does to elevate a game. What is it? So I want us to start there, and then we're going to talk about, very cryptically, I don't want to reveal too much about any puzzle, but how good games do this well. So, Zach, in your own words, how would you describe puzzle masking? It's kind of putting a, a formula of a puzzle um, and hiding it within a narrative or a element of the game so that you are not noticing that it's, oh, I'm doing a cipher puzzle. It's more like, oh, I'm you are doing one, but the game hides it so well in terms of the natural format of the game and the narrative and the environment it's created that you don't think that immediately. You're just getting, you're enjoying the other aspects of it instead of the pure, oh, this is a cryptic, a cipher puzzle, you know, or whatever it is. Absolutely. And the the interesting part about that for me is, and you you said this word is, puzzle masking for me doesn't start with the puzzle, it starts with the narrative. Yeah. Because the narrative is building, obviously, your story, but it's also building your world. Mm -hmm. And now that you have that in place, now you are allowed to come in and figure out puzzles and puzzle types and kind of, like you said, coverings that will work. What are, in your opinion, some of the more common puzzle types that you see? Zach, I want to start there and then I want to talk about like what masking for those could look like. There's a lot of different puzzle types that do get puzzle masked really well. I, I mean, there's obviously many different types of puzzles you interact with the game. I mean, I've seen really good like Cryptex puzzles be masked, you know, you have ordering style, you have connection puzzles, you know, you have Caesars, like Cypher-esque. It's just all really well done, but there's just, I think what's interesting is that there are so many different types of puzzles, and I think so far in most games, we've seen them be masked decently well to well. Absolutely. The the one that always comes to mind, and you said it was one of them, is ordering puzzles. Because so many times in a puzzle, you're working out part of the solution and you have bits of information, and now you realize you have all of the bits of information, but now in order to make sense of them, you have to get them in the right order. And one of the classic ways that I see that done in games is giving numeric values in either ascending or descending order so that you know. And the classic way we do this all the time in escape rooms is one, two, three, four. Yeah. Right? And I, I, I will come out and admit I'm guilty in puzzles. I have put one, two, three, four. 
you and, have. And I don't think that's the best way to do things. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it would step up for that. Like in one game we have, oh, this one thing has one jelly bean in it. Yep. This thing has two jelly beans in it. And I think that's a step up. And then I think there's this level above that to where it just intertwines with the narrative and you're starting to use elements of the environment that thematically work with the story to do a one, two, three, four. We saw that in Emerald Flame. I'm speaking very about a um, potion element that you had to create. And you, I even remember you commenting and you were like, the only thing left is the, Oh, I see how she did that. And, and that's, that's what we mean by puzzle masking. Cause here's the truth in terms of quote unquote, discovering new puzzle types. There's not a whole lot unturned there. I don't think. Yeah. And I think that's true in a lot of different, in terms of narrative storytelling, we're always like slowly venturing into new formats, but like the ways that we tell the story are not that different from like how Shakespeare was telling them. What makes a story great is how you've twisted those elements just a little bit to make something that feels new or seems a little bit different. And that's what happens in Emerald Flame is, oh, I'm very familiar with all of these puzzle types, but you've done such a good job of masking it. Now I'm not only discovering the puzzle, I'm discovering the puzzle type Mm -hmm. and bringing that all together. And that's what makes that really, really intriguing. Mm -hmm. Can you cryptically speak to some of those times or maybe some of the other puzzles that we saw in Emerald flame and some of the ways that they were masked without ruining anything. Oh, that's a, that's a hard question in terms of doing it without spoiling anything. I mean, there's items you get in the game that I thought they did a really good job of masking it because you, you get them and you're like, okay, I'm going to use this. They don't just give me these things unless they tell me like they're for like me to keep like, I mean, you get to keep them, but like, you know, like pens they gave us at the beginning of the game. But you know, there's a few items I'm like, okay, I wonder how you're going to use this. And it's not at all how I thought the item would be used, you know, because you look at it and you're like, oh, it's it's just this. And, you know, the game kind of talks to you about it a little bit. And you're like, okay, that kind of looks like something you have on this sheet. And then you do like this crazy cipher and then it tells you something and you're like, oh, that's what it does. And then you do it and you're like, and I remember Jared saw me do it. I was like, excuse me real quick. And I went by and did the thing in front of him and I was like, I you're, love this as many times you're yeah you're like as many times as this has been done in the game I still love it I still love it every time and there's just so many of those moments with a lot of the puzzles that it it feels like and there's some asking with like the I'm gonna call it one of the first like the bigger multi-step puzzles that happened in chapter three there's just an element of it that there was something I noticed on one of them that I was like I've seen this before very interesting and I remember making note of it and I was like okay so then I went and did a bunch of like because I don't want to spoil it, it's hard. I tried remembering where I saw that from. So then I went looking around and realized that I had seen that before somewhere else. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then the fun part of the connection started happening where I'm like, okay, I know I've seen that one before. And I see that and I see that and I see that. And then I realized that 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 was all its own puzzle in itself that I've just never noticed the entire time. And I was like, oh, I get to do this now. This is cool. (laughs) And then you get to do it and you're like, this is great. And then it builds on it more. There were so many cool puzzles that were just hidden well. Like, right. You know, you look at it and you're like, okay, I see like most of the puzzles. There was also one. Are you? Is it the one I want to talk about? Potentially, yeah. Near the end? Yeah. Yes. There's a few that have some really cool masking moments. There's also one in the second chapter, I want to say, involving, oh, I can't tell you what it is. It's the sad part <laughs> of not being spoilery. 
there's there's a puzzle in the second chapter that hid something so well that I was just like, I wanted to clap because I was just like, that's so good. I was like, there's no way I would have noticed that unless I got like, I say I got lucky, but I basically was like, this looks interesting. And then I realized they all did. And I was like, oh my gosh, this happens. <laughs> this, is like, about this, is how you, this is how you actually do the puzzle. And I was like, this is so cool. I, I was like, there's so many people who aren't going to get this because it's like so well hidden. But like, once you notice it the first time, you notice all of them. And I was like, that's so good. The one that I think we both want to talk about, but without talking about. Okay. And I think it's like just a master class is there's a very common puzzle type that has actually been around for a really long time. Yep. It's visually based. It does something really cool. I'm looking around at our wall and I'm seeing examples of it done. Unfortunately, I don't want to be mean to other creators. Not as well. Yeah. I was just giddy when we realized what was happening and what we were about to do. And that's what I'm saying is like that puzzle type in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Yeah. But when you do it in a way that is thoughtful within your world and masked, it elevates it. And then you can start taking twists and turns because the core puzzle works. And if a core puzzle works, then you can start iterating and creatively mastering that. And this puzzle that we did very close to the end Things started happening and I realized what we were going to do. And we were just like, yeah, that was, that was dope. That was so dope. And that, I think that's what we're, that's what we're looking for. And and all of our creators have had moments of doing that. I'm looking at our wall. I've noticed it in a lot of different ways where puzzle masking has happened so well. And I just think it's so important because you can just put puzzles in games Mm -hmm. and people will enjoy them. Right. Yep. But then that's going to come at the cost of something. When you, let's talk about when you don't mask your puzzles. What does that mean for a game, in your opinion? It kind of just takes away like the the world or the the narrative that has been set up in the game, only because if you see like literally the most generic cipher puzzle, and it basically goes like, and it's really like a a literal basic cipher. Like I printed one off. You know, and you have the cipher and like, you know, the part of it is like uppercase and the other part's lowercase. You know, it's very basic and you're like, okay, so this is just a box of like puzzle types. Cool. I love doing a lot of, I mean, I like puzzles, but I really don't enjoy just getting a box of puzzles and going, here's the narrative that goes along with it. And you're like, it doesn't go along with it. You just threw (laughs) puzzles in here. Fair Um, enough. Well, puzzle masking at least makes it where like you forget. I mean, you are doing puzzles and you actively know that it's not like we were playing this game and I forgot puzzles existed, but it hides them so well that you enjoy like the other elements of it more. Like the puzzle itself is so well done that you, you know, you're going to guarantee like it, but then the puzzle masking lets you like immerse yourself into the game more. And I, I don't know many off the top of my head that we've had where it was not masked well or at all. But it does take a lot from the game. It immediately takes you out of the experience to be like, okay, you put a Caesar, Caesar cipher in here. There's no like decoration around it. There's no masking it into the world's narrative. It's, hey, Zach, here's a Caesar cipher. Have fun. Right. And you're like, and maybe that doesn't even go along with the narrative. It's just literally like a Caesar cipher. You're like, so I'm literally just doing a Caesar cipher and it doesn't matter. I think it's the difference between talking about puzzle design and immersive puzzle design. Yeah. I think that's ultimately, if you're not understanding what we're trying to get a point with the term puzzle masking, that is the range. Like, it doesn't mean that the puzzle is bad. You can have a good puzzle and call it puzzle design, but the elevated form of that that really is going to engage people more, give them more of a aha moment, 
is that immersive puzzle design where the elements of the puzzle itself fit within everything we've talked about, the narrative, the environment. You could even use theme if you're not trying to develop a full story to where it looks like something that it's not and there's a puzzle within it, right? We've talked about uh, solve our shirts. We've got that coming up on an episode next month. People are all the time are saying like, I can't believe there is a game, an amazing game in this. Like it's puzzle masking, right? Like you've hidden all of this stuff so well within a shirt. So Zach, here's what I want to know from you. Okay. We're going to name some companies, but we're not going to give away what or how the puzzle works, but we're going to tease what happens in the puzzle and talk about how we think it's some of the best puzzle masking we've seen. Okay. So would you like me to go first? Or you want to go first? Oh, uh, you can go first. Okay. I will start with a German based company called Enigma Fellowship yep. that has one of my favorite puzzle masks in a black light puzzle and a seemingly innocent black envelope. Okay. Mine, I will say, is from a digital aspect of a game, but it f- comes from a Hawaiian-based company named Society of Curiosities, <laughs> um, and it involves a website that is used in one of the games. Another one of my favorites that I was really, really shocked that they pulled this off so well was a Netherlands-based company that involved uh, a super reflective element. Oh, yes. I do know what you're talking about. Okay. And then I'll say another one would be from a Netherlands-based company called Dark Park. Oh, yeah. I didn't say what my company was. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I was with you on Dark Park. Yeah. I was going to say Dark Park has some really good ones. Um, Dark Park's the one I'm thinking of comes from um, a game that involves a family tree. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. I'm going to take us all the way to Phoenix in the U.S. to Bluefish Games. And I'm thinking of a uh, certain puzzle in a Hinks game that got me really keyed up. Interesting way of wording that. I think we could keep going there. We've played a lot of great games that have done some really cool puzzle, puzzle masking elements. Those were just some that are posted on our wall of games and things that we love that we thought we'd throw out there. That's really going to wrap us up for puzzles to the people. We got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. And we're back live in Milan for Fashion Weekend. And oh my gosh, it's happening. International supermodel Zach is coming down the runway. Zach, Zach, a moment. Who, who are you wearing today? Sure, I'm wearing Salvo shirts from CU Adventures. Oh my gosh, they, they look amazing. Can, can you tell us more about it? Not only are they the best in comfort and in fashion, but also there's a puzzle hidden with all the top. You're saying there's a puzzle hidden in your shirt? Oh, yeah. I, my mind is blown by that. Where, where can the public pick up these shirts? They can pick them up at cuadventures.com. I have to head out now. Ciao. I'm just getting word that these shirts not only come in one type, but there is a trove of, of Pirate Cove and a Maze of the Minotaur option. Again, trove of Pirate Cove and Maze of Minotaur option. He's just so handsome, that Zach. I know. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the third section of the show that is questions for creators brought to you by the Deadbolt Mystery Society Studio. I'm so excited for this interview. Jared, I'm just going to be honest. They're just so exciting. And every time we've had them on, which has been one of the times so far, it's been pretty cool. And I mean, 
It's post curious. It is. And and really like that dirty, dirty Jack Fellows stole some of the spotlight from this guest the last time we had I don't know if they stole the spotlight. They worked both very well in that game. <laughs> I'm just all I'm saying is we didn't get to focus fully on that person. On sure. That. And, and we've we've gotten to focus on Jack. Yeah, before. that Jack Fallows. He just keeps popping up in our podcast. So cool. So cool. <laughs> but yeah, we're obviously we're talking about Rita Orlov, of course yes. curious. Super excited to get to have her on, but let's let's jump in and get to know her a little bit better. Rita, tell us a little bit about yourself and the beginnings of Post Curious. My name is Rita Orlov. I make narrative tabletop puzzle games. How did creating puzzles actually become a business for you? Back in 2016, where there were not a lot of these types of games out there, I played a few things that I felt were either too easy or too difficult and had no story or were basically all story. And I felt like there was something lacking in between all of those things. So I wanted to make a game that was part narrative, part puzzle, challenging, but not so challenging that you truly feel like your brain is broken. So I think some people may have felt that way about Taylor Ward. And <laughs> in retrospect, it came out a little bit more challenging than I meant for it to. But that was the conception of Post Curious. Taylor Ward took about two years to design. So by the time it was released in 2018, there were already quite a few more of these types of games out there. And after that, I was working on Flame and it sort of became a more full-time business after the Kickstarter for that. Rita, we noticed that in a lot of the games that we've played, there's this high attention to detail. And that seems to be really important in all of the games that you make. Walk us through that. Why is that so important to you as a creator? I think that when I put out a game, I want it to feel thorough. Um, that feels like the best word for it. But I'm also an artist at heart. So I feel like I'm not just making a game, but I want to make like a whole experience for people that involves a synergy of the aesthetic and the gameplay and the story and fully explores the things that I want to explore in that game. And so sometimes when I'm making something, I feel like I want to get to the point where I've exhausted all of the ideas that feel relevant to this particular game, as opposed to making something shorter that might feel kind of incomplete. So even with Emerald Flame, there were a few things that, a few ideas that didn't end up making it into the final game, but there was just so much content that I wanted to include that to include only a small portion of that didn't feel like a full game. And I think it's also harder to tell a complete story in a very short experience. Rita, we've noticed through your games, you definitely have a very good job of presenting a narrative to people. If we've noticed it in like Light in the Mess and stuff like that, why does it come so naturally to you to present a message through your games? It's definitely intentional because I think, well, it, it certainly doesn't come natural to me because it's hard to tell a good story. But I think what players really connect to is character. And so having kind of a smaller story, I think, allows possibility for exploring character in a way that 
is not always lent to when you're trying to tell a bigger narrative with really hikes and maybe concepts that are a little bit more abstract and less relevant to our everyday lives. So like, you know, saving the world from a nuclear meltdown or like stealing a painting from a museum is maybe a little bit less relatable than these letters that are being written to from a friend to her other friend describing her adventures and what she's looking for. It also imparts the feelings of those characters to one another. Rita, I've noticed in talking with a lot of artists that the way to be a better artist is just to draw. You continue drawing. It is a practice as much as it is an art form. And we know that you do a lot of the art for your games. Do you think that's true of puzzle design? Does just practicing puzzle design make you a better puzzle maker? Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a practice. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And especially with puzzles, playtesting is such an important element. And it's hard to know how good your puzzle is before you playtest it, because it might feel like a good puzzle to you, but then it might not make any (laughs) sense to another person. And going from designing my first game, uh, Tale of Ward, to The Light and the Mist, I felt like I had such a much better grasp on what would make for a good puzzle and what would be uh, comprehensible to people. So the playtesting process has really become a lot more fluid. And I think the more you do it, the more you understand how people think and approach problems. So you can think of those things ahead of time while you're actually designing the puzzle. So throughout the process, I might say, oh, I kind of want to put this here, but this might be distracting to people. Or if I add this other thing, is that going to seem misleading? How do I make sure that they make this connection you know, maybe I need to add a little bit of an extra clue to direct people from point A to point B. And the more you do it, the more you realize what are those missing pieces that you need to connect in order to help other people make that connection because they're not in your brain and they don't know what you're thinking. So with Tale of Ward, I think um, if I ever do a second edition of it, there would be a lot of changes that I want to make to have a smoother game flow because I think a lot of those Puzzles are maybe good puzzles, but are still missing some signposting. So the more puzzles I've made, definitely the more I've learned about how to make a better puzzle and what makes a better puzzle. Rita, you've been kind of talking to us about your your process in creating games and kind of things that you've learned to work on. Can you tell us if you had to go back in time and tell yourself three things that you would do better, what would they be? These puzzles are too hard and need more signposting. The narrative should integrate better with the puzzles, uh, which I think it did in a lot of cases, but there were definitely a few kind of (laughs) escape room logic moments in that game that I would love to fix for the future and make things look prettier. (laughs) Rita, one of the things that we notice and appreciate a lot about you is you're very vocal about playing other people's games and giving them shout outs. And that's something that we love to do too. Do you think for creators that playing other people's games is important? And do you personally get inspiration from playing other games? Yeah, I mean, you're not creating things in a vacuum. So if you're an artist or a designer, 
you need to look at other art and designs. If you're a writer, you should be reading other books because it's going to make you a better writer. And as a game designer, you should be playing other games because you can play them with a critical eye. And by that, I don't necessarily mean that you're going to always critique them, but you want to understand what works in those games and what doesn't work. And if you're designing something that is similar and you might play something like that that already exists, that might make you think, well, maybe I should make some changes. Maybe I should put a twist on this. If other people are already doing it, how can I make a product that's different? Because I don't want to put out something out there that already exists. That's not my goal. I want to make something unique and original. And of course, there's always going to be some similarities between other games, but that doesn't mean that you can't put your own spin on it. And I think that's hard to do if you're not playing anything else. But I think it's also really just important to learn from other games because I've played games that I've loved and it makes me think, what is it about this that is fun? How do you find that point of fun and how do you add that fun into your own game? And that doesn't mean that you're going to be copying that other person, but just analyzing what is the pleasure that you're finding in this action and how do you embed that into your own work? And likewise, if something is boring or doesn't make any sense or just doesn't work on whatever level, how do you avoid those pitfalls? How do you make sure that you're not making those same mistakes that frustrate you? So making like, for example, adding more signposting is something that if it's a really difficult game that doesn't allow you to make the connections that it wants you to make, uh, more intuitively, how do I avoid doing that? And people have commented a lot like on the post-curious hint system, which really came about from frustration with other hint systems that I didn't feel were accomplishing <laughs> what I wanted a hint system to accomplish. So before I made Tale of Ward, there were I played games with no hint system. I played games with a hint system that wasn't that helpful or wasn't particularly granular. Like it would have, you know, two or three hints per puzzle. Um, some that didn't have the solution. And so if you only have two or three hints per puzzle and it's not actually that helpful and you still can't figure out the answer, you have no way to move on from there. So my goal was to create a hint system that was much more user-friendly and that would give people little nudges so that they can still feel like they you know, kind of won the solve, like they still earned it at the end, even if they needed a little bit of help that it didn't totally give away the answer or didn't not have the answer <laughs> so that you can still move on in the game, even if you get stuck. Because at that point, it's like, all right, well, I didn't get that one, but at least I can continue playing as opposed to just not being able to move forward at all. So if I hadn't had the experience having that frustration with other games, I wouldn't have been able to make a hint system that people did find really helpful. All right, this is a fun question. It may have some tie-ins to Puzzledom. We'll see where it goes. But Zach has recently, I'd say what, probably like six months ago, Zach, picked up rock climbing. We know you enjoy this pastime as well. Any words of advice for Zach as he continues his upward journey, we'll say? 
I mean, if I had to give any advice, I always think it's really good to do dynamic stretches beforehand as a way to like warm yourself up and reduce the risk of injury. Also just paying really close attention to your body movements, like very, like sometimes slow climbing really helps and kind of paying attention to what you're doing with every move. Like if it's just twisting your body in a certain way, you know, reaching up with your arm. Whereas like if you push yourself up with your leg, you're going to actually be able to reach a little bit further. And sometimes it's just like practicing specific moves. Um, and if you're working on a problem and you're stuck at a certain point, sometimes it helps to try and do like another part of the problem, then try again with the first part of the problem and then try to piece those together as opposed to like always trying from the beginning and getting stuck at the same point. Rita, as much as you'd like to tell us about it, you know, as much detail as you want to, can you tell us what's in the, for the future of Post Curious? Ooh, so right now I'm playtesting my next game, which is called Adrift. That's not going to go on Kickstarter. I think I'm just going to have some pre-orders available for it and hopefully uh, get it out by the end of the year if the stars align. Uh, <laughs> and that's going to be a much shorter game than the previous ones that I've released. So a little bit less ambitious in scope but hopefully equally fun it will also be probably less challenging than what has come out so far um, but the goal is just to make it a little bit more accessible and it'll be like a single single or maybe two uh session play depending on you know your play style and that's actually going to be i guess a spiritual prequel to the next Post Curious release, which does not have a name yet and is still in its nascent phase of development. And hopefully that will come out in 2023. Um, and then I've got some ideas for future games, but I can't get <laughs> too into detail on that. So, but I, all I can say is there is a plan in the beyond. <laughs> and a question we ask everyone, what other games you've been playing lately? We know you, you love to play other games, other people's games, stuff like that. Beginning, you know, we've talked about video games, we've talked about board games, stuff like that, but you want to shout out any games you've been playing recently. Well, I most recently played the Vandermist dossier by Diorama, which was great. Um, been waiting for this to be translated into English for a while. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the second and third in the series. Um, always love everything from... Society of Curiosities. I guess their sort of uh, subscription one has been a bit paused recently, but I've been playing through the fairy tale files, which are super fun. So I'm looking forward to the next one and been slowly making my way through my pile of Hinks Gazettes from Bluefish Games. And those are, those are always really fun. And it's such a good little bite-sized game because it takes less than an hour. Uh, but I but they came monthly and I could not catch up with them. So I have still a big pile waiting for me, but I know that it's a fun pile to go through. Uh, I haven't had time to play too much stuff recently because I've been trying to finish up this game. Um, but some other things in my playlist are uh, Escape Tales, Low Memory, which I started on but haven't gotten through yet. And I really like how... 
it's a much more story driven based game than you see normally um, from like the exit and unlock series, which I feel like don't have quite as much narrative imbued into it. So I'm excited to dive back into that when I can. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at postcurious and also at Rita Orlo, if you want. Um, I'm on Twitter at getpostcurious and on Facebook at postcurious and our website is postcurious.com. Rita, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for everything with the Emerald Flame. Yes. We really had such an enjoyable time playing this game. We're looking forward to what's coming up next. If you're listening and you listen to the ads, you may have heard about Adrift coming out. If you're not already on the Post Curious mailing list, you need to go to getpostcurious.com and get over there. I don't want to miss any more Post Curious games. Nope. We didn't start this podcast soon enough to get uh, Tale of Ord. Yeah. It's one of my life's biggest regrets. I can't miss any more in the future. Fair. We have to keep Rita making games for the rest of her life. Yeah. If that's what she wants. Yeah. Not, if she wants to, we're not, not you not, won't force Rita. Not to make like games. Rita in a dungeon making games. <laughs> make games, please. <laughs> Although I do think Rita would be uniquely gifted at like putting cryptic messages if she was trapped in a dungeon to help her get out. Yeah. Like I think she'd be out of that dungeon pretty quick. Yeah, probably. But you can find all of her, like she mentioned on in her outro, get post curious at post curious, like Give her a shout out. Buy this game. You, she also has Light and Mist for Sale, which you've heard us do that episode in the past. Really wonderful game. A lot of meaning. And it, it, it's a game that really dives deep. A game that we've really enjoyed. Be sure to check her out. Leave her a review. Leave her some positive feedback. She would really enjoy that. Zach, what can people do to help us out? You can send money to the following address. <laughs> um, <laughs> cash. Cash. Send cash to me specifically, not Jared. No, um, there's many different things you can do for us at Puzzling Company. First thing you can do is you can go and join us on Patreon. Uh, we have many different tiers that you can join in at. Um, you get to listen to our episodes early and without ads if you like that. I, what, shocker? <laughs> I don't know. It's just that some people have told us like specifically, hey, we really didn't want to join your Patreon because we would miss the ads. It's true. <laughs> it's one of those interesting things. We might just have to only post early and just maybe you'll have to be more ads. You only get the ads if you're on the Patreon. I don't think that's a great business model. But, but but anyway. People like the ads. It's fair. But you can go join us on Patreon there. Um, support us. Um, we have a lot of amazing patrons on there that support us and get to do help us do the things that we get to do. Um, you also get to join in us doing some events throughout each of the months. Um, we get to send out mailing stuff. You get to join in on all the fun. Um, you can also support us by leaving us a five-star review on wherever you listen to this podcast, if it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever, um, and just tell us how you feel. Be awesome. You can also follow us on social media at Puzzling Company on Facebook and on Instagram, as well as if you just want to shout out to us or if you want to talk to us, um, you can reach us through our contact at Puzzling Company email. Jared and I are always looking at it. We love having conversations with you all. That's really going to wrap us up this week. Next week... We have some digital content coming your way. Ooh, okay. We will be diving into Joy Swift's murder mystery investigation. I'm very much looking forward to it because, spoiler, we've already done Joy's interview. And how are more people not talking to this lady? It's pretty cool. Just some really cool stuff you're going to want to hear, especially her interview next yep. week. Uh, so come back with us. But for Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. 
Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.